Well, good to be with you all again. Um, if you weren't with us last week, this is a part two. Um, it's always hard when you come into a part two. You're like, well, I want to know part one. Um, and so today I'm going to spend a little bit of time recapping part, uh, part one. I see why Steve does that every Sunday. Um, because mostly it's to allow time for the dads and moms to get back into the room while they're checking in the kids' uh, kids ministry. Um, it, uh, if you did miss, I'm going to do my best to recap, but uh, we do put all the sermons up, if you're not aware, up on our website, calvarycdf.uk, and you can uh, listen to those. They're, um, uh, they're up there for, for you to, to catch later in the week. We usually put them up by Tuesday or Wednesday, so those are up uh, already, so if you wanted to catch it. But last week, really just did an introduction to the book of Proverbs. Um, introduction to it and started in in Proverbs chapter 2 you can turn there we're going to begin in Proverbs and really began the discussion by just talking about the difficulties um, and uh, that that we see in our in our environment in our world today um, that come up against believers Uh, man has always uh, had a propensity for sin uh, and towards sin Um, but today we're in a a world where we're called now um, to uh, embrace that um, we're, we're, we're called to uh, come alongside those who rejoice in, uh, in sinful things, and we're not, we're not to do that as believers. And so the, it, gets, it gets hard for us. How do we navigate through the muddied waters? Um, how do we protect the next generation? Um, and we began in Proverbs chapter 2, and I read verses 12 through 15 because I think it's an apt description of our, uh, of our world today. It says this, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice, rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, who, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. Uh, that, that's our world, right? Uh, people rejoicing in doing evil, delighting in perversity of the wicked, crooked paths. But we're called now, we're being asked to embrace those things. Uh, and the believer can't do that. And so it can be a little uh, difficult. How do we overcome this? How can we stand up to this? What do we do? Well, Proverbs verse 10 and 11, right in that chapter, the two verses right prior to that in chapter 2 gives us the answer. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you and understanding will keep you. And that's really where we began. We launched with that that idea that scripture gives us when wisdom enters your heart and um, knowledge is actually pleasant to your soul, discretion, understanding those things will preserve and keep you, keep you from all the things that we, we read. And so we asked the question, well, um, what is that? What is wisdom? And we went back to Deuteronomy chapter four, because the Hebrew mind would have thought of wisdom a little bit differently. It's not just knowledge alone, but it is the skill to live godly life in the way God intended. It's a skillful way to live, skillful living. And if we're honest, a lot of us just try to get through life. We're just kind of making it up as we go. But that was not what God intended. And in Hebrews chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 4, God describes that. He says, these are my statutes and my commandments, and these precepts are here for you so that when you live those out in your everyday life, the unbelieving world will look at you and say, what a wise and understanding people these people are. God's people. And that is his intention. And so we ask this question, and then if wisdom is to enter your heart, how does that happen? (laughs) Where does that begin? And I really went to the very bare bones, basic foundational truth of of that. And it, it came from, well, it comes from Proverbs, but we looked at Job chapter 28, verse 28. If you remember that, Job's Job's playing this, where is wisdom game? Where can wisdom be found? It's not in the depths. It's not in the death. It's not destruction. You can't purchase it. Where can it be found? And finally, the answer comes to us in verse 28. He just says this. I'll read it to you. Behold the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. He just tells us. He doesn't make it muddied or complicated. He says the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. And so, we looked at the verses in Proverbs that substantiate that. I got a few of them just to recap today. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs fifteen thirty three, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is a humility. 
Just a few of the verses we looked at to say, okay, the fear of the Lord, that that obviously is key. It's foundational to uh, wisdom. But then we looked at how that is contrasted oftentimes with those who do evil. Some of the verses we looked at, Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. So you can see this contrast, right? The fear of the Lord is obeying him. The fear of the Lord is the opposite of those who do evil. And and, and we've got to push those two things together. And we looked at the dangers of rejecting that, rejecting wisdom and rejecting God, uh, fearing God in in that way. In Proverbs chapter one, wisdom is personified as a woman. She calls out. She speaks aloud. She cries, uh, cries out. And, and God says, listen, if you're going to reject my counsel, if you're going to uh, ignore all that I'm saying and all that I'm offering you, then when terror comes and destruction and calamity come, and they will come, you're going to look for me, but you won't find me. You're going to ask for help, but you won't get it because it's too late. And he says some scary words, and it's in Proverbs chapter 1. Verse 31, therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. I was talking to someone just this week uh, about that very thing. So what are you saying? They eat the fruit of their own way. You ever heard, I've made my bed, and so now I'm going to sleep in it? It's the same kind of idea. They're eating the fruit of their own way. This is the fruit of their actions. These are the decisions they chose to, to make, and now this is a result of that. And, and, that, and that's, listen, that, that's, just, that's just life. We make decisions, and decisions have outcomes, right? And sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're bad. And so I'm sure I'm not the only one that made decisions and went, man, that was a bad decision. I, w- I really wish I went this way instead. And I've had to eat the fruit of my own way. Does that make sense? But then we also looked to the ultimate version of that in Romans chapter 1, right? Where uh, people who choose to worship the created things rather than the creator, they invert worship because proper worship is us giving worship to him. But they invert it. They exchange worship of God for a lie. They worship created things. So what does God do? He gives them over to a debased mind, right? I'm going to let you eat the fruit of your own way is what he's saying. And that's really kind of where we, um, where we, we came to. We, look at, we looked at Solomon, right? The wisest man who ever lived, wrote most of the Proverbs. We looked at his great test in Ecclesiastes, right? Where he tried everything. He tried wealth, didn't work. He tried women, didn't work. He tried you know, fame. None of those things gave him meaning, gave him happiness. In fact, that was his conclusion. It's all meaningless. It's all vanity. It all means nothing, except his great conclusion at the end was this. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For that is man's all. The wisest man who ever lived, right? Tries it all. I've tried everything there is that life has to offer. And here's my great conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. And so we just really began to scratch the surface last week um, as to how that looks. If fear of the Lord really is so closely tied into obedience of the Lord that it must be pretty important to know the word of the Lord, right? I mean, don't we need to know God's word in order to know how to obey him and in order to live in that skillful way that he intends for us uh, to live? And so we just only looked at a few verses, but before we get there, I want to read you a little devotional. This comes from a, a great devotional book. If you, if you like devotional books, I recommend this one. It's by Paul David Tripp. He's the one that's in the, the marriage videos that we were doing if you were at the marriage conference, and we'll continue to do those this year. Uh, but it's called New Morning Mercies is the devotional book. And he always begins his devotion with one of these little phrases that is just met, meant to kind of grab your attention. And this one certainly grabbed mine. It's from August 5th, yesterday. This is what it said. Today... You will convince yourself that you are smarter than God and will write your own rules or (laughs) will humbly submit to his wise call. That one grabbed my attention, particularly with the material I was going to be teaching on today. Today, today, not just like for life. He says today, you're going to wake up today and you're going to convince yourself that you're actually smarter than God and you'll write your own rules for today. Or today, you'll just humbly 
submit to his wise call. It's a little lengthy, lengthy, but I want to read most of this to you because it's very, very good. It's often a subtle thing going on almost unnoticed, but it has huge implications for the way we live. You and I step over God's boundaries because there are moments in our lives when we are able to convince ourselves that we are smarter than God. We tell ourselves that what he says is wrong isn't so wrong after all. We convince ourselves that we can disobey God and it will work out at the end. We tell ourselves that our way is better than God's way. The big lie that fuels all this is that there is life, real life to be found on the other side of the boundaries that the all-knowing, all-wise God has set for us. It's the lie that was first told, embraced, and acted upon in that terrible moment in the Garden of Eden. Human beings have fallen into believing that lie ever since. The psalmist says, now this is important because he quotes Psalm 119. He quotes three different verses from it, and that's going to be significant in a minute. He says this, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. That's Psalm 119, 93. Then he quotes verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And then he quotes verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. There it is. God's precepts give life. Yet, a husband will think that he can be critical and demanding of his wife, and a marriage will be okay. Or you think that you can spend more than you make and your finances will work out in the end. Or you'll come to believe that you can permit yourself to lust without doing damage to the heart. In a thousand different ways, we tell ourselves that somehow, some way, we are, or this moment is, an exception to God's rules. It all exposes that we still have wandering hearts that are all too susceptible to the enemy's lies. Our wandering hearts don't always love what God says is good, right, true, lovely, and pure. Sometimes what God says is best doesn't look best to us. Sometimes what God says is evil doesn't appear evil to us. In those moments, we are a danger to ourselves because we've bought into what is completely impossible, that we know more and are wiser than God. It's the height of the delusion of sin. It is a dangerous and destructive moral irrationality, and it leads us nowhere good. It never results in the life that we are seeking. Proverbs 16.25 captures this delusion with brief but powerful words. There is a way that seems right to a man, but his way is the end of death. There's a, a way that seems right to a man, but where does that go? Death. Death. Now, he quotes in that uh, powerful little uh, message there, Psalm 119. He does it three times. We only looked at two verses last week, just two. We looked at Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word, and I, I have hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. And we looked at Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Two very well-known passages from uh, Psalm 119. And I wanted to spend today really fleshing that out to get to a, a very practical place of what I believe <clears throat> Proverbs has for us. I think I told you that we would really look at practical areas. And as I began to look at that, I thought, it's just far too much to do in one sitting. And so instead, I'm going to flesh the rest of this out because we really only began to lay the foundation last week. I'm going to continue that so that we can build upon that because uh, Stephen Amber will be gone in, in November, three weeks I'll be covering, and I figure what I'll try to do then is I'll try to hit some of those practical areas then, if you can hang on till then. But this is what I'd like to do today. I'd just like to look at those two you know, verses. They're very, they're very known, well-known verses. Your, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And we usually attribute that to you know, scripture memorization. I've memorized these, these handful of verses so that they're in my heart. I've memorized them, and so that way it, it keeps me from uh, sinning. But I think it goes deeper than that. How do you hide God's word in your heart? What does it mean when it says in your heart? And how can it really be a lamp to my feet and light to my path. The, the Bible has to become part of your inner life. That is what he's talking about when he says heart. It is that, that area that governs your words and your actions. And when the psalmist says, I've hidden it in my heart, he means I, I have stored it up. I'm storing up all of this 
uh, these biblical principles so that when the time comes, I, I, I know how to use them. I know how to get past this obstacle or what direction to go when this happens. It's far more than just scripture memorization. It's biblical principles in the heart. And when they're truly stored up in the inner life, then they will be a lamp and a light to your path. They will guide. And I think that if Christians really were um, uh, instructed in this way and and had uh, practical biblical principles um, founded in their heart, we'd see a lot less people coming into offices for biblical counseling, right? Usually, that is, is the, the, the issue. And so what I want to do, I just want to go back to Proverbs chapter 1 and just begin to show you what, what Proverbs says it has to offer. Because it's, it's much more than just a bunch of wise, pithy sayings. Look at what it says in, in verse 1 of chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So here are all the wise words of Solomon. Here, here, what do they do? Well, verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. We talked last week about wisdom. We already mentioned what that, that, uh, that is, chakma, the Hebrew word. It means to live skillfully. So you will know how to live skillfully. You'll all know wisdom uh, and instruction. This word instruction is used all through uh, Proverbs, mukar, and it means discipline or chastening or correction of the moral nature. It's not just, I, uh, I got some, um, I've got some instructions, and this says, this says to go this way, and so I'm just going to go this way, and, uh, as if it's sort of robotic. But it corrects the moral nature, so the very, a very moral fabric is changed by them. And then it goes on to say, to perceive the words of understanding. And this is very interesting because the word for perceive is being. The word for understanding is bina. So it's the same root word. You could read it this way, to perceive the words of perception. And so it, it means this. It's the mental discipline which matures you for spiritual discernment. And this is just verse 2. Verse 2, already, right? We, we've, we've learned that we can have skillful living. We can have uh, a way to chasten and correct our moral nature so that it falls more in line with God's nature and a mental discipline which gives us spiritual discernment. That's just verse 2. Verse 3, to receive the instruction of wisdom. Now, this is very different. This word for wisdom is different. It's not chakma, it's sakal. This word means prudence. Some of you are going, that's great. What's prudence? <laughs> What's prudence mean? It means shrewd or crafty. It has to do with having good judgment or caution or circumspection um, in terms of danger or risk, even weighing out the risk of something, prudence, right? We're prudent if we wear cold uh, weather clothing in the winter. That's prudence. I'm protecting my body. We're not so prudent when we're half naked on the beach in the summer because <laughs> then there's skin cancer. But that's prudence, right? It's, it's those kind, that's the kind of idea. And then it says this, justice, judgment, and equity. Justice, that's the ability that we'll have to conform to the will and standard of God. His, his standard is perfection. It's righteousness. It's, the, it's doing all things rightly. But it gives me the ability to begin to conform to that, that I begin to do things rightly in my thought, in my words, in my actions and judgment is the application of that righteousness to others that's how i use it to others and equity is living a a life that's fair and in a pleasing way verse four says uh, i'm sorry verse verse five uh the rest of verse four sorry to the young man it gives knowledge and discretion so uh, to give prudence to the simple and to the young man knowledge and discretion prudence to the simple i like that word simple It's an apt word because it means open door. (laughs) Prudence to the simple, shrewdness to the simple. One who has got their door so wide open, they just don't know what to keep in or what to keep out. That's what it gives. And for a young man, knowledge and discretion, allowing them to ponder before sinning, making a wise choice. Verse 5, a wise man will hear an increasing learning. You never reach it. You never get to the pinnacle of wisdom. A wise man keeps learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. That's someone who understands the benefit in seeking wise counsel from other godly people. 
And then it says, verse 6, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Not that people are trying to give you really confusing riddles and I hope you can figure it out. But I think more along these lines. Psalm 78, this is a, a contemplation of, of Asaph. He says this, Give ear, O my people, to my laws. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Remember last week you talked about that, that Proverbs, wisdom literature, is very similar to parables. That a lot of times the truths are a little bit veiled or hidden or upon a cursory reading, they're difficult to, 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 to pull out. But you've got to ponder them in your heart. You've got to meditate on them. And here we go. This, this all leads up to verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So this just lays out for us, here is what, what Proverbs has for you. And if you were to go on and read Proverbs, you would see all these little practical areas in, in life that it, it, it covers. That's not what I want to show you today. What I want to show you is, I want to show you how highly it elevates God's word as the standard of that. And I'm just going to, to go through several passages here just to, just to go through some of them. I mean, this is not exhaustive by any means, but Proverbs 3, 1 to 4 good one to start with. It says this, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace. They will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Proverbs four twenty to 22, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they, will, they, they are life to those who find them and health to all flesh. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live, and my law is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Proverbs eight thirty two to 33. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. Proverbs 10, 14, wise people store up knowledge. There's that storing it up. But the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. Proverbs 13, 14, the law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Proverbs 16, 20, he who heeds the word wisely will find good and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. A couple more. Proverbs 22, 17 to 18, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Let them all be fixed upon your lips. And then Proverbs 28, 9, 1, who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. I just flew through to show you that from, from the beginning. I went as far as chapter 28 there. All through Proverbs, we're encouraged to hear the words, to obey the commands, to listen to those things, and you will have length of days, you will have a long life, you will have peace, you will have favor, high esteem, life, health, and happiness. But when we reject those things, we turn our ear from those things, even our prayers are an abomination. Now, I know what you're thinking, you know, we don't often, you know, purposely uh, do these things. It's not like we're, we're purposely just saying, yeah, I don't want to uh, hear God. That's not what I'm saying. But if we don't really understand and don't really have God's word really governing the inner man, then there are times that you're doing things that your prayers are hindered. Scripture instructs me that if I am not living in an understanding way with my wife and honoring her as the weaker vessel, my prayers are hindered. Scripture informs me that I'm praying for things, but I ultimately want them for my flesh. God isn't hearing me. And here, if I turn my ear away from hearing his law, there's some area of sin in my life. My prayer actually is an abomination to him. He's not going to listen to what I say. So you think it's important? It's pretty important. Now, I opened here talking about the importance of Psalm 119. I know I just read a whole bunch of Proverbs here for you, but I just wanted to see how how, how, how uh, vastly it, it uh, covers through the, the, the whole book of Proverbs and how highly it elevates the, the, the law of God, the commands of God. But in Psalm 119, if you want to turn there really, uh, really briefly, Psalm 119, you know, uh, 
Paul, Paul David Tripp quoted it just a few times, and I only read a couple of verses, but I wish I could show you this. I've got a pretty small print Bible, but I have highlighted this is a while ago, but I don't know if you can see it, but this is Psalm 119 begins here, all right? All these orange lines, I don't know if you can see them all in there. All of the highlights that you see in the Psalm 119, this is all Psalm 119, all the orange, they are all synonyms for God's word. Psalm 119 is the Mount Everest of passages that elevate God's word. I went through and out, uh, highlighted every word that was a synonym for God's word. Commandments, statutes, word, law, precepts, ordinances, whatever was a synonym for that. And it's all through it. If you want to go, hey, I want to get my heart there. How do I get uh, just a love for God's word? Meditate on Psalm 119. Just spend a month going through that. But I just want to look at the first one, the first eight verses. If you don't know about Psalm 18, it's an acrostic. It's, it's built on the, the Hebrew alphabet. Um, and you've got the first letter of the Hebrew al- alphabet with the first eight verses here. And it says this, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You've commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. Just all through it, you can see, I, I want to walk in the law of the Lord. It's, it's, a, it's just, it's everything that I need. That's the idea. And as you read all of Psalm 119, that's, that's what you, um, you get from it. And I want to point one out to you. It's in verse 32. Look at verse 32. I will run the course of your commandments for you shall enlarge my heart. You shall enlarge my heart. You see that? Now, we know he's not talking about the organ. That's probably not a good thing if I had a large heart. (laughs) What does he mean there? Enlarge my heart. Did you know that that happened to Solomon? Did you know that in addition to wisdom and understanding, God gave Solomon an enlarged heart? He did. I have it for you. 1 Kings 4, 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart, like the sand on the seashore. What's he mean by that? God will give you a greater capacity to store up the commands of God. A greater capacity to store up the biblical principles which should be governing your life so that you can live a skillful and godly life the way that God intended here, he just praise it. Praise it. You're going to enlarge my heart. Why, why would God answer that prayer? Why would God enlarge his heart? Because look, what his heart is saying. I love your commands. I desire them. I want to live by your statutes. Oh, if, oh that I have these, I'll praise you with uprightness of heart. That You're going to have an enlarged heart. But you got to want that, right? That's where it starts. I want an enlarged heart that I might be able to really store more up of his truth in my heart. But there is a person that's, that's contrasted with, and it is in um, verse 113. There's a lot of verses in Psalm 119, but go to 113. 113. It says this, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. So you have one who wants an enlarged heart, and you have one that's double-minded. But literally, the Hebrew word means half-hearted. So one has a bigger heart, one has half a one. You remember I talked last week about the little pictures, or maybe it was the week before, that we were doing with the kids' ministry, right? David has the whole heart for God, big red heart. Solomon had half a heart for God. He started out well, did end so well. But half-hearted, half-hearted. The Hebrew lexicon definition has this. Listen to this. It's a person of a divided mind who, being destitute of firm faith and persuasion to divine things, is driven hither and thither. That's the definition, according to the Hebrew lexicon dictionary. Now, I, 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 I have been apparently quoting that definition uh, all my life and never knew it because I'm constantly using James chapter 1 in counseling. I'm constantly doing it. Oh, you're like, you're like the waves that are tossed to and fro. And it's the same kind of idea. Here in Psalm 119, the double-minded is a half-hearted person who really doesn't have a firm faith. They're not so persuaded to all the divine things. They like the world things too. 
And so because of that, they got a foot in and a foot out. They're driven hither and thither. Their lives are all over. They're here today. They're here tomorrow. They're here today. They're here tomorrow. I can't tell you how many times I'm using that. Man, the last month you guys were here, rocking it spiritually. Boom. And all of a sudden here, like, oh, it's like life is terrible. I don't know what to do. I just want to kill my, you know, how do we do that? It starts here. It starts here. In fact, the verse that I quote is in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, I have it for you up on the screen, but I'm just looking up because I want to read something to you from there. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a, here's the word, double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What, what is this? What is this saying? This is this is this, this is someone who says, "I really want God's wisdom, but and I'm just I just my faith isn't strong enough." Is that what he's saying? Like I just I, I'm not you know I I doubt, so my faith isn't strong enough, so he's not going to grant me the wisdom. Not by the definition of uh, double-minded. Double-minded here in the Greek means two-souled, divided in interest. Again, in this passage. This double-minded word is used again in James chapter 4 in reference to those who are adulterers and adulteresses with the world. Those who are flirting with the world, God says, listen, you need to come away from them. Draw near to God, right? Draw, come away from the devil. He's going to flee from you. Draw near to God, and then you need to repent because you've been double-minded. Does that make sense? He's talking about people who want a better understanding. They, they, they want wisdom. They want their life to go well. But, but don't interfere too much. This is, this is one who isn't completely all in with God. We have to be all in. <laughs> that is my point. The fear of the Lord is where it starts. But that goes hand in hand with a total um, desire for God's word to rule and reign in your inner man. That it might govern everything you do. Everything. And that's what I want to spend the last of our time together here because I think that, you know, in seminaries and in schools today, we're all taught a certain way. I was taught a certain way, and it's a good way. We, I mean, we, we learn to go through Scripture, right? We learn to dissect it and, 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 and teach, you know, verse by verse what it means. One of the things I've noticed, though, is that we have failed to impart biblical principles in scripture into the hearts of people to a place where they can just quickly diagnose and go through that. Okay, what, what principle will govern this decision? I'm, I'm at this crossroad. What principle do I need to go here? Because the Bible's full of it, right? The Bible is full of it. And, and I'm constantly getting people like, listen, I know the gospel. I know this, I know this, but, but what do I do with this? That's what I want to talk about today. And we'll go back to Proverbs chapter two. Proverbs chapter two. I want to make this as practical as I can for you. I want this to be helpful because it was very helpful for me. In Proverbs chapter 2, we sort of have this if and then logic going on. If you do this, then this will happen. If you do this, then this will happen. If, then, if, then, if, then. Chapter 2, this is what it says. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. I want to break this down a little bit for you because look at what he says. He says, listen, if you receive my words, if you treasure my commands, the storing them up, right? If you're hungry for God's word in in that way, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice, if you seek her as silver, you search for her as for hidden treasures, then you're going to understand the fear of the Lord. Then you will. If wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, there it is. How do I understand the fear of the Lord? Well, this has got to be here. I receive his words. I want to store them up in my heart. I'm, I'm crying out for that. 
I'm seeking it. Well, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. And look what he promises. Knowledge, understanding. He's a shield. He's going to protect, preserve, guard, and then guide every good path. All that comes, right? But it begins here. If then, if you receive my words. Look at verse four as well. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. Those two, verses one and verse four, are very, very key. And I want to give you a uh, practical illustration. There's a book that was written by, he's a biblical counselor, Jay Adams, and he wrote a book called What to Do on Thursday. At first, I wasn't so sure about the title. I love it because Bible's all good on Sunday, man. Sunday, I'm good to go. You read that thing on Sunday, man, that's my authority. Then something comes along and, and I hit a wall on Thursday. Oh, what do I do? What, what do I do? I mean, I, I've been at a loss. I don't know God's word. What do I do? He wrote this book so that we go, well, this is what you do on Thursday. He just picked Thursday out of that. There's nothing particular about Thursday, right? What to do on Thursday. And he gives this amazing, helpful illustration. An imaginary character named Bob. And Bob has been asked by his superior officer at work whether or not he thinks he might be able to figure out a strategy uh, for implementing a new policy at the work, okay? And they're, they're thinking of initiating this. Now, whether or not it's actually initiated depends upon the strategy that Bob develops. That's his, his job. So they've asked him to uh, develop this. Now, Bob can do that. He's not concerned about his talent. He's not concerned about his time. But he is concerned about one thing. He has one doubt. He has a suspicion that, and he, he doesn't know for sure, okay, that if the proposal that he does is implemented, that the company will make millions of dollars on what appears to be a change in the quality of the product that will sort of cheat the customers. Does that make sense? So he's got a job to do. They're kind of saying something. And just by the way it's been presented by his initial investigation, he thinks it might eventually cheat the customer. Now, he's at a difficult place. He's not sure what to do. He's got a deadline, and he doesn't know absolutely. Here's where biblical principles come into play. You go straight to business principles to begin with. You go to Deuteronomy 25, 13, but I'm going to show you a couple of Proverbs one because we're, we're in Proverbs, okay? So Proverbs 11, 1, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Or Proverbs 20, 23, diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord and dishonest scales are not good. Very clear, very cut, right? All right, I can't be part of cheating a customer. I can't be part of dishonesty in that nature. But that's not really his problem. What is Bob's problem? He doesn't know for sure. There is doubt. There is doubt. It hasn't been investigated uh, fully. And so at this point, a different principle must kick in, and it's Proverbs 14, 21. I want you to pay attention to this one because this one comes up all the time. This is in, uh, I'm sorry, did I say Proverbs? Romans. Romans 14, 21 to 23. This is, uh, Romans chapter 14 is, is about kind of the law of liberty, right? That we're at liberty as Christians to sort of, you know, eat what we want and drink what we want, right? We can do that, but, you know, we shouldn't do something that's going to cause a brother to stumble. It's in that context. And in verse 21, it says this, It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. I bet you, I bet you haven't looked at that verse and considered a biblical principle in your life. I'd be be willing to bet on it. Because this happens all of the time. We we are, we're confronted with an issue here where this person can eat meat. He's guilt-free. There's no, uh, there's no problem with eating meat. But if he has a doubt in his heart, his conscience is telling him, ah, I think that offends God, I shouldn't do that, then he shouldn't do it, right? And if you are mature and you're in a place where you're like, well, obviously we can eat meat, it's not a problem, but you don't want to eat it in the presence of that person because you don't want them to stumble. But it focuses on the one who is doubting. If you doubt and you do it, it is sin. So what does this principle say to Bob in his situation? It says this, don't move ahead on the project if you think that it's going to be a sin. Does that make sense? You cannot go ahead with the project. Now, here's where it really gets 
gets tricky. If he did proceed on the project, he implemented, the product was made, it came out that the, the, the people were not cheated. His, his suspicions were, were false. Guess what? Bob would have sinned. Why would Bob have sinned? Because of his attitude. His attitude was this, that I went ahead and did something I thought might have been sin, even though it turned out not to be. He's not sinning in the act. He's sinning in the attitude. Did you see the difference? It is saying this. You've got to put it to words. I'm going to do this even though it might violate God's command. I don't know that it will, but it might. Should we do it? Would you, would you do something that just might violate God's command and then just hope, hope that it doesn't? That is a very foundational biblical principle. It's called holding. You have a doubt and you do something that might offend God. You don't do it. He must first do what then? He must first remove doubt. That's his first thing. So for for Bob in that situation, he's got to quickly go to biblical principles, okay? All right, business principles, I can't be party of that, okay? But I have doubt, so that means I can't go forward. It should be that quick. Now, because I can't go forward, then I don't have time today, but you have several other steps to begin to go through, don't you? Oh, I'm still in the, I'm still in the problem. How do, I, how, do I, how do I do this? So you've got to go to other principles that talk about speaking the truth in love because he must speak the truth. That defines his character as a Christian. We speak the truth, but we do it in love. He's also, as far as it depends on him, he needs to be at peace with everybody. So he also must do it not in a way that pursues confrontation, right? It's going to take careful thought, carefully chosen words. He also must make sure that he is... Um, not seeking to do harm to a neighbor because love doesn't do harm to a neighbor. Romans chapter three, right? And both the company and the customers are neighbors. You see how biblical principle works? So you you began to work through that and now Bob has a clear direction of which way uh, to go. He must go to the employers. He must present this, but perhaps there's some wise ways to do that. Perhaps he can present an alternative. Perhaps he can ask some probing questions to get them to think, hey, if this didn't work out five years down the road, where we will be, you know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Those are biblical principles in the heart. It's not memorization. It's principle. You see the difference? That is what he's talking about. That is how, how, um, I think scripture is to govern our steps because, uh, you know, Sundays are great, but you come on Wednesday and you got this problem, and you come on Thursday, you have this problem, and on Friday, you have this problem. And but biblical principles there to guide us through all of these things, all of these things. And Proverbs chapter 2 begins that you, you have to receive and treasure up commands within you. But you got to desire that. Seek it as silver. Search for it as hidden treasures. Now, if you were to go get that book, What to Do on Thursday, and I do recommend it. You're, you're committing to some work. You, you are committing to some work. It's not just, oh, I'll read this. Oh, I've got it all down now. I'm good to go. <laughs> he gives you a year-long task of how to begin to do that. And most of us probably go, oh, year off. Oh, forget that. Like, we're, we're quick today, right? Let me Google it. Biblical Principles 101. But will that really store it up in your heart? Probably not. Probably not. I recommend it. Secondly, okay, that's, that's just the first part, hiding it in your, your heart, but incline your ear to wisdom. Look at verse 2. So that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Apply, uh, inclining your ear to wisdom is being wise and in seeking out wise counsel, right? The, the fool doesn't do that. Look at Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Or Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. And I want to I wanna just add one amendment to that. You got to make sure they're godly counselors because I've, I've been around where I've heard the women getting together and they're kind of going on about nagging about their husbands, right? I'm not saying here. Yeah, you guys don't do that here, but Right and 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 but if if there's a you know a Christian and she's got a multitude of uh, unchristian women and she's got a beef about her husband and she's talking about it first of all that's wrong but secondly she's opening her mind the simple she's opening the door to possible ungodly counsel and they give the ungodly counsel what kind of counsel are they going to say well man that's honey that's not how he should be treating you you need to leave him and you know they got right you better than that. And they go on this whole thing, and you begin to believe those lies. I, I don't know what that was. I, <laughs> no idea. 
You began to tell yourself those things are true. You're right. I am better than that. I don't deserve that. I, should, I do deserve to be treated this way. And before you know it, you're leaving your husband. <laughs> and your kids are a mess. Your life's a mess. Not wise counsel. You want to seek wise counsel. But make sure they're godly. Make sure they're godly counselors. Proverbs 19.20, listen to the counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. That's key. So seek godly counsel. Third, verse 3, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. Crying out and lifting up. I think this has to do with, with the prayer that's involved. You bet prayer is involved in this. You have to pray. You have to pray. We have to pray continually. But what do we pray for? That's the thing. What do I pray for in this situation? We usually pray for this. God, lightning bolt, please. God, big sign in the sky, please. I was with someone today that was saying, yeah, I just, honestly, I've been praying. I'm like, okay, well, what have you been praying for? He's like, well, you didn't want to say it. I could tell you. I was kind of praying for a sign. Okay, well, here we go. (laughs) Right? God is not going to, hear me on this, God is not going to govern and dictate every fork in the road for you. If you are doing what God has called you to do already, then you're doing what God has called you to do. And I think a lot of times he says, now go do it. When we went home and we had the decision to return to Wales, there's a pretty big fork in the road, right? Our kids were back home, we're back into life there, we're pretty, and I was going to all kinds of guys going, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm checking my heart. I'm making sure there's no, there's no bitterness, bitterness. There's no resentment. There's no, you know, I, that I truly have a desire to serve the Lord in these things. That's where you do have to start. And I see two roads before me, and both are good. I can honor the Lord in, in, in both. I mean, is it really my choice? A lot of times, yeah. God will go with you. He wasn't going to give us a thunderbolt. He wasn't going to say, you know, thou shalt go to Wales. There wasn't anything that came up like that ever. We just came together. We say, my wife and I, we said, listen, we've been praying about it. We have, a, we have peace about it and, and pursued it and then trusted that where God guides, he would provide. He did and all those things. But he doesn't govern and direct every single fork in the road. He's already told us what he wants from you. It's here. And so if you're doing that in your life, then go do it. You can do it in Japan. You can do it in, in Austria. Where I don't care. Go do it, and God will bless it. Don't, don't sweat over every little decision uh, in life. God isn't asking you um, to do that. An- another book that's really helpful in this, it's called do, Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. I don't know if you heard that. And then it has like a different version of the title. It says, or how to discern God's will without, you know, fleeces and liver shivers and all these things it goes on to say. Because you don't need those things. God's will has been made manifest. You have it before you. If you're doing it, then go do it, wherever that might be. So what do we pray for? That's kind of what I started with. What do we pray for? We'll pray for clarity of understanding of his word. First of all, you're still going to need to be governed by biblical principles wherever you go. So pray for understanding of that. Pray for the wisdom that we are to pray for. And pray for the things you already know are his will, right? Are his will. And then he will do the rest in all of that. You know, I think uh, back to uh, Eric Little. I know it was made, you know, really famous in the movie Chariots of Fire. You remember the, the, the runner in that movie? He was a Christian, and he, would, he ended up going to the, uh, the Olympics, and um, he, he, he famously said, says this, you know, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And I think that, you know, what ultimately it was for Jody and I, the de- defining thing, we asked ourselves, well, where did you felt you thrived in just using the things God has given you to use for his glory? Well, I felt like I thrived in that in Wales, like more than here. I, I mean, I just felt like that. Well, then go do it, right? And Eric, he, he ran, and he, he, he said, I have a purpose in life, but when I run, man, I just see a smile on God's face. So whatever that is for you, right? Whatever, where do you see God's pleasure in you? Well, then go do that. And it doesn't really matter where it is. If he's pleased with it, then go do it because God will shine through you. So today I just really honestly wanted to open up with just guiding us and kind of, you know, piggybacking on what we talked about last week because the fear of the Lord 
is where it starts. But how that is manifested in our, is, is in our total obedience to his word, but our, our, our desire to live completely and fully by his word, that it really governs the inner man, that my thoughts and my actions in everyday life, not just in the big decisions of life, but in everyday life, are completely governed in him. Because let's be honest, it's not those big things that wear us down. It's the everyday little nitpicky things that wear us down, right? And so we, then we, we will treat our, 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 our wives with the understanding and respect that, that is due to them or our husbands. Or we will treat our children the right way that God has, has laid out for us because we're operating under biblical principles. And when we do that, lo and behold, life is a whole lot easier, a whole lot easier. Hey, listen, guys, I love you. And life is hard enough without us messing it up all the time, isn't it? And I just want us to be skilled Christians who are founded on the biblical principles God has given us, right? So that we can just really instill those in our hearts. So listen, whether it took a year or five years to begin studying so that you could just put those in there, wouldn't it be worth it? I think it would. I think it would. So just just trust that God, you know, this is what he's called for us. He wants us to live by the truths that are here and that they're, 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 they're good for everyday living and everyday life. Hopefully in a few months from now, we'll try to look at some of the bigger areas of life that Proverbs speaks about um, and, um, and sort of go on in the study. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for this time in your word. I do thank you for the truth that contains I thank you for smart uh, people like Jay Adams who've written books that help simple people like me <laughs> to, to sort of begin to extract biblical principles and put them into practice. And Lord, they're, they're there. They're there. But if we, if we just kind of go by them and just kind of check off our reading in the day, then are we really storing up biblical principles? Lord, help us to be people that are searching for it digging for it that we might be able to govern our lives more wisely in the way that you intended. God, I thank you for this sweet fellowship here. I do love them dearly, and I pray for their week ahead. I pray, Lord, that that they would look at the things that they're doing in life and, and just run those through um, scripture and see if they're governing everything according to your word in a way that pleases you, that we might live a better lives, skillful lives that glorify you Lord, and um, Lord, in the way that you intended. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.